So we are in a series at the moment called Compelled, or hashtag Compelled, if you're a youth. Um, uh, listen, there, there are hundreds of thousands of people in this region who never set foot in church from one year to the next, who don't know Jesus, and we think that's a real problem, right? We, we, we believe that there's a real heaven and a real hell, and, and that Jesus is, is the answer. And so we're desperate to communicate to as many people as possible about who Jesus is and what's happened in his life and death and resurrection. And the reality is that we've seen a few people become Christians, like, I mean, more than a few. I think last year 134 people became Christians in the life of our church. That's a few when you compare it to the hundreds of thousands. That's like a trickle compared to the hundreds of thousands. And so we're just saying, Lord, please will you do something amazing in our generation, in our day, not just in our church, but in all the churches, that, that we would see uh, you know, a whole bunch of people come to know Jesus. And what we're trying to do for our part of that is to try and learn from the early church because they saw thousands of people becoming Christians all the time. And so we're just saying, if that's normal for them, then please will it be normal for us. And we're trying to immerse ourselves in their story. Uh, and um, so we're actually just landing at a moment where 3,000 people have become Christians on one day. Uh, and um, they've all been baptized. And so we're just saying, that'd be lovely. I mean, even just 300. I mean, even 30 people in one day would be a complete result. Uh, and 3,000 would be a miracle of miracles. And, and um, so we're just landing in at the moment where 3,000 people have become Christians. And then they're doing church together. So Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It says this, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe. What a brilliant word. Awesome awe. At the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles, all of the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Amen. Um, So uh, this is week number three in our little series. First of all, we had a compelling power. Then we had a compelling practice. And now we've got a compelling people. Now, I know this is lost on you and completely wasted, but I can't tell you how delighted I am that there were three Ps. So, yeah, there you go. You see, you're not bothered, but I am bothered. And and so I'm blessed, even if you're not. It's powerful. It's powerful. Um, The question we're asking ourselves each time we come to these passages is this. How could we be more fruitful for the kingdom of God? How could we... um, blow our cover, go public with our faith? How could we do better at sharing our faith with those people who don't know the Lord yet? And the way that I want to answer that today is to look at our passage, at, first of all, from a, a sort of a wide angle perspective and look at what does the whole passage teach us and then look perhaps at some more specifics, try and focus in a little bit more after that. When, when we look at the wide angle view... It seems to me that three things in our thinking needs to change, or at least this passage challenges three areas of our thinking. And the first one is this. We need to be willing to embrace discomfort. So we need to move from a place where we just love being comfortable and say, well, we love being comfortable, but we're willing to be uncomfortable. There you go, from comfort to discomfort. 
And obviously, there's nothing very comfortable about sharing our faith. I think we're all squirming a little bit. Uh, you know, I was saying to the Lord recently, Lord, I feel like a complete hypocrite preaching all this stuff. And he said, you are a hypocrite, but you should carry on preaching it anyway. And so that's kind of what I'm doing. But, but this is an uncomfortable thing. The whole concept of sharing our faith and being public it, with, with, with something that's profoundly personal is, is an uncomfortable experience. But I just want to point out one area of discomfort for the early church because I think it's relevant for us as a church, as a whole church, and particularly for you guys in St. Macca. And it's this. Acts chapter 1, there are 120 people in the church, you know, and so uh, they're godly, faithful, prayerful people, and when you've got 120 people, everyone can know each other. So you know each other's names, you probably know each, each other's kids' names, um, you, you've got a shared history, you've got a load of funny stories you can tell from the past about stuff, you know, I'll remember that one time, you know, and you'll go, yeah, I do remember that one time. You know, when, when Larry was praying so fervently that his trouser elastic snapped, or, you know, remember that time when Barry was carrying that whole jug full of Ribena and he tripped, and, you know, it's just, oh, the, the, those days, you know, oh. Happy memories. Uh, and, and so they've got these happy memories, these 120 people. And then the Lord adds 3,000 people. So there's no longer 120 people. There's 3,120. And suddenly we don't know everyone's names. And no one remembers the time when Larry dropped the Ribena or, you know, Barry. It was Barry. Some of you are taking notes. That's good. But, I was hoping you'd remember something more significant. But, um, it's an uncomfortable thing. A growing church is an uncomfortable th- place to be. Uh, and, you know, there's lo- when lots of people come to know Jesus and lots of people are added to the church, there's lots of change. Uh, and that can be an uncomfortable thing. And, and the reason that's a big deal for us right now is clearly we're just about to send out a whole team of people from this group to go and start a whole new site in King's Wells, which is about the most exciting that's happening this side of Stonehaven, where they're also doing the same thing. But, but the, the, the point is, we have to be willing as a church to say, well, Lord, we want to see you do so much. And because we want to see you do so much, we're willing to move from comfort to discomfort for the, for the sake of the kingdom of God. That's the first thing. The second thing is, we need to change our mindset from thinking solo to thinking team. One of our trustees, Pete Turner, is a rower. Uh, do we have any other rowers in the house? No. Um, I tried rowing for a little while at school, and then I realized it was, you know, I was just as rubbish at that as I was at every other sport, and so I stopped doing it. But um, just imagine Pete Turner goes out on the river this afternoon, the River D, I expect, and he takes a boat from the boathouse, and he sits in the boat, and he gets his oar, and he starts rowing. And, And what happens is that that boat just goes really, really slowly round in a circle, and then capsizes. It's all gone badly wrong, hasn't it? Why has it gone badly wrong? Because that boat is not designed to be so low-powered. It's designed to be rowed by a team. And what you see in the book of Acts, and I felt so struck by this when I've read it, is that, that so often, in fact primarily in the book of Acts, evangelism, the sharing of your faith, is a team effort. It's a group thing. It's a community thing. 
In fact, you, as far as I can see, you only really find one person who does evangelism on his own, and that's the evangelist Philip. And he's almost like the exception that proves the rule. The rest of the time, when people are being added to the church daily, and there are 3,000 people becoming Christians and being baptized on the one day, the author, who's called Luke, is always writing in the plural. He's using words like they, and them, and we, and us. It's a community thing. You see it in the passage that we read here, verse 42. They devoted themselves Verse 43, everyone. Verse 44, all the believers. And it goes on like that. They, them, you know. And and then you land in verse 47. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. We think so often about uh, uh, um, being a witnessing individual. But the Bible speaks more often about a witnessing community. I've realized that in my own head and heart, when I'm feeling a total failure in the way that I, um, with respect to the sharing of my faith, that I'm carrying the burden alone. That I think in terms of I worship with, with other people and I break bread with other people and I pray with other people and I minister alongside other people and then I do evangelism by myself. And I think we need to reframe our thinking and say, what would it mean if I was to think that every time I share my faith, I'm somehow doing it as part of a community. Which brings me on to the final shift that I think needs to happen in our thinking, which is to shift from explaining to exposing. And I'll explain that before anyone thinks that there's something inappropriate going on there. When, when I fell in love with and um, started going out with my now wife, the lovely Taryn, there was this sort of shadow of a secret looming over us and... and there, there was a kind of a thing that I hadn't told her about my life. Uh, and uh, every time we ha- hung out, I was thinking, would this be the moment where I'd share my sort of secret with her? And, and it never was. And then after a while, I was thinking, this is really bad. Like, we might get married one day. We might even have children, and she doesn't know this big secret in my life. I should probably tell her. And so I booked a lovely restaurant in the middle of London, in the city of London, and, and we got on the tube, and we went there, and we walked through the streets holding hands, and then we went to this restaurant, all moody lighting, and there was a man in the corner playing on the piano. Watch and learn, boys, watch and learn. And then... as and then we wait till after dessert and the coffee arrived and I said to her, look, there's something I need to tell you that I haven't told you up until this point and it's quite a big deal and I should have told you before. And you could see her thinking, oh my goodness, what on earth is he about to say? And all the blood drained from her face. And I said, listen, you need to know that I am a genetic mutant. Uh, I, I am, I'm a human clone. Uh, that's right, my girl, I, I've got a twin brother. I don't know what you were all thinking I was going to say, but that, that is what I told her. And, and I basically said, you know, the thing is, um, there's another bloke who looks almost exactly the same as me. You might find him more attractive or worse. You might not know whether I'm him or he's me. And just you just need to know that. And the point is, and you may be wondering what the point is, that so often when it comes to the church, we feel like we need to explain. Like, oh, you want to come to my church? Well, I probably just need to sit you down... We do quite a lot of singing in my church. And sometimes in our church, like, people put their hands in the air and sometimes people speak in tongues and, and sometimes people might give a prophetic word and, and, you know, actually there's lots of people there who you wouldn't normally hang out with in any other sphere of life. It's kind of a mix of people. 
we feel like we need to explain. And yet what we see in this passage, and also in the rest of the book of Acts, is the extraordinary power of a local church, a group of disciples who are fully devoted to Jesus. The extraordinary power and how compelling it is to people who don't know the Lord. I just wonder whether the local church is perhaps the most powerful tool that we have when it comes to sharing our faith. And we've lost confidence in the church. I love the way that Luke writes it. He says, well, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and there was breaking of bread and there was prayer and there was fellowship and and things were going really well. Uh, And then he says, but wherever they went, people just gave them a really wide berth. It doesn't say that, does it? It doesn't say, you know, at, at the office, people just backed away and just sort of smiled and waved and tried not to make any sudden movements. It doesn't say that, does it? What it says is, They enjoyed the favor of all the people and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. There was something compelling about that community that when people saw it in all of its kind of rough around the edges beauty, they were like, I want to be part of that. It's a powerful thing. And so we need to maybe stop asking, how could I explain away the local church and start thinking about who is there in my life that I need to expose to this? Do you see, we need to move from explaining it away to exposing as many people as we can to this. Okay, so that's the wide angle shot. Let's just look now at, kind of focus in on some of the detail. Hands up if you like the Great British Bake Off. Yeah, come on. Hands up if you don't like the Great British Bake Off. Okay, you need to find a new church. Sorry about that. <laughs> Time for you to go. Nice having you. Um, uh, what, what, I mean, you know the savoury bakes when they make like, you know, cream crackers or something like that. It's like, I don't care, I don't care about that. You know, you can take or leave the cream crackers. But when, when they make like a chocolate cake and it's layer after layer after layer of chocolatey goodness like mixed with, or, with, with all kinds of amazing icing in between and then covered in a load of icing. Like, I could take or leave the cream crackers, but do not ever leave me in a room alone with one of those massive chocolate cakes with all the layers because, honestly, I would not be held accountable for my actions. And I think what Luke's doing here is he is telling us the layers of the cake and he's saying there's this bit and then there's this bit and then there's this bit and then there's this bit and people could not help themselves but stuff their faces on this church cake, cake church. And so the layers are these. The first layer is the truth of the gospel. Verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Hands up if you um, have seen the film Dead Poet Society. Oh, actually, a lot more than the previous service, which I'm delighted about. If you haven't seen it, you must see it. It's one of the best films ever made. And it's about this group of young men who are part of this quite well-to-do school, and, and they're all emotionally repressed, and they come from very emotionally repressed families, and they're finding life all a bit constrained. And then this teacher comes along and shows them how to, 
you know, let loose. And the way he does that is that they go out in the middle of the night into these caves and they set light to things and then they go around, you know, they strip to the waist and they just read poetry to each other across the fire. I mean, it doesn't sound quite as good now I'm telling you about it, <laughs> but I promise you it's better than it sounds. And the point is that, that what these guys are doing is not that. The early church are not just stripping to the waist around a fire in a cave and just going, oh, let me just tell you my feelings. You know, let me just share my feet. Oh, I feel like that too. Yeah, let's just liberate our feelings. That's not what they're doing. They're saying, they're gathering around the people who've been near Jesus and they're saying, Jesus, tell me about him. Sorry, um, you know, disciples, tell me about Jesus. Tell me what he said. Tell me what he did. Tell me exactly as it happened. Do not... Don't exaggerate it. Don't add anything to it. Don't take anything away from it. Just give me the unadulterated truth, the history. You know, we live in a society where, where it's like, well, I'm just looking for my truth and you can look for your truth and, and what's true for me might not be true for you and what's true for you is certainly not true for me. It's just, you know, we've all got our own truth and we're all, everyone out there, everyone in the, in the, on the planet is looking for a way to make sense of the world. You know, to, to, to make sense of the fact that on the same day you can experience joy and fun and laughter and love and also suffering and pain and disappointment and sadness. You can experience all of those on the same day. And we're all looking for a way of trying to make sense of that. And you can go to a local church... And you can discover a truth that isn't just true for you, but it's true for everyone. It's uh, objective, historical, solid truth. It's not virtual reality, it's reality, reality. What a powerfully compelling thing. We're not just gathering around sharing our feelings. We're sharing something that's absolutely true. That's the first thing, the truth of the gospel. Secondly, the dependence of prayer. Verse 42 still. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and to prayer. I was putting my kids to bed a few years ago when they were younger and, and um, <laughs> that's obvious, isn't it, actually? Now I think about it. Anyway, uh, um, and we were just chatting about stuff and, and one of my kids said to me, Dad, just explain this to me. Jesus says um, that we should pray, give us today our daily bread. And he said, but we get all our bread from cost cutter. What's the deal with that? Why do we have to ask for something that we can just go and buy in a shop? And of course, I thought of a brilliant answer about three years later. That's usually how it works. But honestly, I think what I should have said is, well, you know, son, how... If we were to just leave the house and leave you here by yourself, it, you wouldn't last very long. Because everything you have is, is from our hands. In the same way, we as Christians understand that everything we have comes from God. And without him, we wouldn't last very long. And so as we pray, we're making a prophetic statement, not just to God, but to everyone around us to say we depend on God. You know, out there, it's all about standing on your own two feet, right? And, and, and we're demonstrating in here, we don't want to stand on our own two feet. We want, we want to kneel on our own two knees. We depend on him. That's the second thing. 
It's a a very compelling uh, picture to see people understanding that it's not all about them. They depend on God. Number three, the power of the Spirit. Verse 43. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. The question is this. Where can you go in the world to find a miracle? Like if you need a miracle in your life, where do you go? And the answer is, of course, you go to a local church. We've got a video to show you that, please God, let's just lay hands on all the equipment. Um, Please God, will it work? Um, It's a a video of an interview that was uh, done with a couple called Graham and Lisa McCall, who are part of our site in Stonehaven. And they were just sharing about something that had happened as a result of prayer in their lives. Are we able to show that? Yes. And Lisa, just to come and to share something of their story and what God's been doing in particular in the last few months in their lives and in particular in Lisa's life as well. So, all right? You're going to hold it, aren't you? (laughs) Okay. So, just to to give you a wee bit of background, in the past three years, we've been at City Church for a number of years. The past three years, we feel God has really, since we've come to South, taken us on a a journey. He's, He's taught us things that we knew but perhaps didn't put into action. Just things about not serving two masters, about being in this world but not of it, and, and really making choices in our life that, that showed our, our true commitment to God being our king. And, uh, and we feel particularly over the last few months that we've been really blessed by him. So um, at the end of November, I had not been feeling just terribly well for a, a couple of months. Um, and I hadn't really shared it with very many people because, to be honest... Not even me. <laughs> because, I, because I was frightened. I, I, was, I was scared um, because I sensed that perhaps it was something serious. Um, I did have cancer a few years ago, and so it sits at the back of your mind. And so a few months ago, I, I decided that actually I, I had to go to the doctor. And when they did an examination, they found a mass in my tummy. And so I had to be referred back to the oncology clinic um, and they had to obviously do some some tests and things and find out what was what it was that they'd find so when we went to the the clinic just a couple of weeks before Christmas the um, the doctor opened the file and the file said on it uh, urgent referral suspected cancer um, and of course we, we suspected it ourselves we were very worried about it but we had many people praying for us and with us and Graham had been praying over me whilst I slept for nights and nights and nights and uh, and so I had a very thorough examination and the doctor said I can't find it I cannot find what what they'd found and I'd felt it Graham had felt it and the doctor had felt it I can't find it she said but given your history and given what your GP found we have we have to um, I'm now crying because Thea's crying. <laughs> we, had to, we have to um, do your scan. We have no choice. We have to scan you because clearly there's, there's something there. And I, I, I felt ill. I was poorly. I didn't feel well at all. So um, we, we couldn't believe it. And I'd said to you, you know, I know that they can't find anything, and, but I'm still worried that when they do the scan, there will be something there. And Graham said, no, I believe you've been healed. I totally believe all my prayers you have definitely been healed so off we went to the leadership conference 
And Graham was totally had no doubt, and I still at the back of my mind was doubtful. And Ellie Mumford stood up one day and she said, she was doing a kind of thing, a prayer ministry for everyone and healing. And she said, uh, I'm going to start with a story. And she told the story of a neighbor of hers who had a grapefruit-sized lump in their abdomen. And she said the prayer that she had prayed over her and the fact that this lump had shrunk. And the prayer that she had said was exactly the same prayer as Graham had prayed over me. Exactly the same prayer. So, of course, in my head, that for me was confirmation that God was saying, are you listening to me yet? And we came home from the, uh, from the leadership conference and the one piece of mail that was lying on our, um, on our kitchen table, Graham and I get loads of mail and we had one piece in the whole time we were away. And I opened it up and it was a letter from the hospital to say, your scan is totally clear. We cannot find any disease. Where can you go in your life if you need a miracle, if you can't go to the local church? It's a powerfully compelling thing. And there are people all over the northeast of Scotland who need a miracle. Okay, that's the third one, the power of the Spirit. Number four, the generosity of heart, verse 44. They had everything in common. That doesn't mean they, you know, they all like stamp collecting or fast cars. It meant that they kind of shared their resources. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. I've got a member of my family who's an, a devout, very faithful atheist. And uh, he's been an atheist ever since he, he was at school. Um, and now, uh, as many decades ago. And uh, I was speaking to him recently, and I said, oh, I think there's a, a church near you, a vineyard church. And we were just speaking about that vineyard thing. And, and he said, I said, have you, have you come across them at all? He said, come across them. They're in the paper every week. And I was like, wow, it's amazing. Well, tell me about that. And he said, well, it's amazing what they're doing to serve the poor. You know, they've, they've got all kinds of different programs. They've, they've got a program for if you're a kid and you've run away from home, you know, they'll give you a bed for the night. Or, or um, if you're a refugee, then they'll teach you English and they'll help you fill out your forms. And if, you, if you're uh, homeless, then they'll give you some food and they'll clothe you and you can get a shower and and, and so it just went on and on, just listing all of these amazing things that they do. They've got a school for, for people who've been excluded from every other school. And, and, and I was like, wow, that does sound amazing. And he said, yeah. He said, obviously, I don't believe in God. But if there was a God, then that's the kind of thing that his followers would be doing. My, many of you will know, because I think Taryn talked about it, my brother and his wife have recently adopted a little girl. And she's got really significant medical needs. And, it, you know, the detail of it isn't important. But it's, it's, it's full on for them looking after her. Um, but they're doing a great job and loving it and loving her. And, and she's the happiest little girl you've ever met in your life. They were just up staying a few weeks ago. Um, it's amazing what they're doing. And I've got a, another member of my family who isn't a Christian. And, and he said to my brother, he said, he said what you're doing is the most Christian thing I've ever seen. The local church, when we're giving away ourselves, when we're, when we're recklessly open-handed with our time and our money and our love and, and all of that, it's a powerful thing. And it directs people towards the God that we worship. 
the generosity of heart. And number five, last one, the intimacy of worship. Verse 46, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts and they praised God. The people of God have always just scooped up, gathered up everything that makes their life their life and brought it to the Lord in sung worship. They've always done it. And, And if you want any proof of that, you just need to open the Psalms. I'm reading through the Psalms at the moment. And, and there are Psalms for every eventuality in life, literally. There are Psalms for when everything is going really well and you just want to celebrate. You know, like Psalm 16. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. So there are moments, you know, when we've just got stuff to celebrate and thank God for. And we, and we bring that, we scoop that all up and we bring it to God in song. And then there are also psalms for when the exact opposite is true. Like Psalm 88 is a psalm of lament. It says this, I'm overwhelmed with troubles and my life draws near to death. The darkness is my closest friend. Wow, you've got to be in a pretty, pretty low place to bring that one before the Lord. But there are, there are uh, psalms, songs for every moment in life. Moments of hope, moments of faith, moments of celebration, moments where we're feeling like we need some support or comfort or help. And what happens as we scoop up our lives and bring them before God in worship is we draw near to him and then he draws near to us. And, and so worship becomes this, this moment of encounter, this collision between, between creator and his creation. And we all know that. We've all experienced the power of God's presence, the, the loveliness of God's presence in times of worship. But we forget, don't we, that that happens and, and, until someone who is not a Christian comes in. And we'll probably, you know, we're baptizing loads of people next week. And, and there'll be people who say this exact thing. I came into the church and I cried. And, and, and it happens all the time. Probably maybe one of you, this is your experience today. You came in and you cried. And, and it wasn't because the, you know, the guitar was out of tune, although often it is. You know, I've been speaking to them about that. But it's, it's because God, God is here. And people say, oh, I, I'm sorry, I don't know why I'm crying. And we, and we just nod to them and just smile because we know why they're crying. It's because they're meeting the living God. He's coming to meet with his people. And it's a compelling thing. And so Luke gives us this picture of this multi-layered cake church. This, this absolutely attractive thing that's, that's a bit rough around the edges but is so beautiful. And then he goes on to say, and people were just being added to their number every day. In, in, in a sense to say, why wouldn't you? Why would you not want to be around those people when they've got all of that going on? And so I've been praying the last few weeks just saying, Lord, please would you give us a new confidence in your church? You know, we feel a bit embarrassed, a bit awkward sometimes about the church. Like we've got to explain away the church as if we we're introducing some weird auntie who, you know... Eventually, you're going to have to meet her. And what we should be saying is, Lord, who could I bring? Who could I expose to this amazing thing of beauty that is, is absolutely of your design and that you come and meet with every week?
Let me just finish by saying this. We, we um, always pray for people at the end of all of our services and we'll pray for a whole bunch of people this morning and, and some of you will want to respond in that way and go and get someone to pray for you. But for, for all of us, I honestly believe that the response to today's message involves this card. Well, not this card, because you can't all give this card away. Only one of you can. But we've got loads and loads of these printed. And, and next Sunday, we're going to baptise something like 30-odd people uh, in every site, in every service of our church. And so what's going to happen is there is going to be a parade of people coming up to the front and sharing their story of what God has done in their lives. And, and they're going to be saying, or, you know, from their perspective, how Jesus ha- has met with them. And... and it's hard to argue with someone telling their story. You can't say it didn't happen because they'll just say, well, I was there and you weren't. And so I can promise you it did. And so I just want to encourage you as part of your response today, please will you take a bunch of these cards and please will you pray about who could I bring? Who could I invite? Who is there in my life who I could invite to come along and hear just story after story about the reality of the power of Jesus, the goodness of God? Why don't we stand?